Welcome to The Link, the podcast that links the past to the present for those who went to high school in the 1980s. It is a perfect time to reflect and to take stock and to think about really fun parts of our past, but also some challenges. I get to see and hear all your amazing faces and a blast from the past, which is always super exciting, seeing who we were then, who we are now. We really didn't know what was going on in each other's lives very much. And so finding out the real scoop is incredibly rewarding. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Link. This is producer David Yazapod617.com alongside my typical regular cast of characters, Diana Donovan, Fire Pandith, and Meredith Zinner. Guys, how's it going? Hey, Dave. Hey. Although we are awesome. anything from typical. You're right. Atypical all the way, all the way around. Typical. Yeah, let's get some things straight. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Any other thing? Any other thing for the complaint department? Because I'm, I'm all ears. Yet. All right. All right. What? Fire? You doing okay? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Diana, how are you? Yeah, doing great. It's awesome to see you all. Diana was always one of the tallest women in our class at, uh, by the way, Milton Academy class 1986. What the show is about, and uh, you're she. You notice she's not even fitting in the frame in the Zoom I know. <laughs> because I've been sitting. I work at my bar top. Like my office is a joke. I work okay. at my bar top, and I have to just stand up all the time because I just don't want to sit. Mm-hmm. So she's a sit. proper gazelle. And I also have like a mat that I'm supposed to stand on that's ergonomically better. But, really? You know. Yeah, I, I, I googled like, you know, wire cutter, the New York Times does this thing. It's sort of like gadget stuff. And I was, was like, surely somebody makes a mat you can stand on because we're oh, all they do. stuck at home. So I got a pretty good one. And of course, it's just like sitting here, like leaning up against the wall. I once, anyway, I once, I'm, I, I'm so tall that I don't fit into the screen. This is like why I could never dance with any boys at the dances because we're like down here. And that's why you, that's why you always said no when I asked you to dance, and exactly. and, and for no other reason. I so mean, how tall were you? Were you? Yeah, you, if, I have. Well, by senior year, I shot up and and towered damn. and towered to some degree over my in varsity basketball and varsity baseball, who I'm about to introduce. This is exciting. Yay. This is the our guest today was born in Yokohama, Japan and raised in Plymouth. He attended Davidson College and got a master's degree at Ohio. He's had a career in coaching college baseball. Let's point out the fact that he coached Boston College from 2007 to 2010. His team's averaged 29 wins per year. What? Led BC to their first NCAA tournament berth in 40-plus years. He's had 13 players that he coached drafted, including two first-rounders and four future Major League Baseball professionals. He also what? coached BC in the longest college baseball game in NCAA history. It went 25 innings and something oh, wow. like, uh, oh, seven, seven hours, and uh, BC lost that game. But nonetheless, it was historic. He had has now at Moorhead State captaining that team, not captaining, coaching that team, of course. He's had more than 450 <laughs> collegiate wins, more than 50 what? draft picks. We can talk about some of his charitable endeavors, include he's raised money for ALS research. Nice. And I should point out that Pete Frades, who was the, the guy who had ALS, who you guys remember the water bucket yeah. challenge, ice bucket challenge? Yeah. That, that it was Mick's, Mick coached him and has raised a lot of money for that cause as well. That was a really awesome. long introduction, but please welcome. But so wow. good. Mickey O'Aoki so awesome. to the program. Yeah. 
awesome. Hey, good to see you guys. <laughs> that is so, so impressive. That is super well, impressive. Thank you for mentioning Pete. He is one of my all-time unbelievable guys. I have a really another really weird one. So last night, the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA World Championship, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So one of the players on that team is a kid named Pat Connaughton, who's from Arlington, went to St. John's Prep, and he came to Notre Dame and played basketball and baseball there. So he played for me. So he is my first ever NBA player that I got to coach wow. and nice. first ever NBA world champion that I ever got to coach. So That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool. amazing. Well, you have lots of stories about your one glorious year you played basketball with us, right? Under oh, coach <laughs> When you were towering above him, Dave. <laughs> well, he That's was good true. though. I was terrible, but there was, it's nice of you to say that. Well, no, Did you... the baseball coach ask you like, you know what, just try something else. <laughs> no, no, he kept playing baseball. He, he just, just for fun? Okay. He, no, those yeah. are Diana, come on. Those are different seasons. I'm Remember? Oh, okay. My God. <laughs> we I mean, I know I wasn't a jock, but like. <laughs> want to know how you got to where you are. <laughs> He's, oh, yeah. He's, oh, my God. Because I don't even know. My, okay. This is all I know about baseball. My husband used to play. He was a pitcher, and he played in college up to his sophomore year when he realized he'd have to get surgery every year for the rest of his life so he stopped so i oh my God. I, I know and he was a really good pitcher he was known for his curveball blah 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 i know so many baseball curve stories ball. but only yeah only <laughs> that's all i know so i i'm i'm so interested in just getting to where you are and and like what your passion was and what drives you and all that stuff we should point out mick before you answer we should just point out that mick is joining us from I'm oh, sorry. Are you in Atlanta? You in... Yeah, okay. in Atlanta. In Atlanta at uh, it's not called Fulton County Stadium anymore. What is what's the name no, of? No, it's, it's it's like it's Truest Stadium, Truest Park. It's something it's brand new. It's beautiful. Oh, okay. The place is beautiful. Yeah. And for a very good reason, his son wanted to go to the game. So Mick is joining us from the bathroom at the baseball stadium. No, no, we need to hear some baseball stadium noise. You're gonna yeah, have to hear a little ambient will. noise. Oh my god! I can't believe you can't hear it. No, no, we can't hear really. it. But I feel thanks bad. Thanks to technology. Then. But yeah, tell, well, tell us how, you, yeah, I don't know. Or so how I, you got into it. Yeah, I, I played baseball. At, I, I went to Davidson, as you mentioned. I played baseball there for four years. I, I'm mostly second base. I played mm -hmm. a little bit of one year. I, I was put in as a catcher, and I did a miserable job of that, <laughs> but mostly second base. And then I, I think part of it was like when I first got into coaching, I just I, I didn't want to grow up, right? I didn't want to go get a desk job. I didn't want to do any of that sort of thing. And then before I knew it, I was so far down the road, I was kind of like, oh, my God, what the heck would I do now if I ever switched gears? So, but I, but I, 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 saw, I also kind of grew up in it, right? I mean, I think most of us who start in coaching start because they want to stay connected with the game and, and different things like that. But then it, I've come to find out that you can actually have like a really good, hopefully positive impact on, on young people. And that's been really cool. And so... And I, I hope at, at some level or another that I've been able to positively influence whether they're guys that played in the big leagues or guys whose careers finished when they stopped playing for me or something like that in a positive way. So that part's been really good. It also, I was never, I, I took an economics class in, at Davidson. That was like one of the worst things I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. Um, 
So I figured that that probably like going to Wall Street. That was brave of you. That was very brave. (laughs) Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, that was way out of my league. I remember at one point at Milton, actually, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm pretty good at science, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take like this advanced science class. And and I think what the heck was it that I was in? It was sophomore year. It was like Chem P or something like that. Oh yeah. Was it Mr. Bronk? Was that his name? He, yes. he was oh my like, God. Yes. He was he was solving equations on the blackboard, like in his head. And I couldn't punch into my calculator fast enough to come up with the answer that he did. You know what I mean? And I'm like, all right, well, this is definitely not for me. So I took um, one week of physics at Milton. One week, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna please. take a second art. Like, do you have creative writing or <laughs> photography? And so I doubled yeah, up. Now, yeah. Let's go over to let's go over to Mr. McCloskey. I think as fast yeah. as we could possibly get over there or something. I, you know? I um, went elsewhere. Yeah. So, but anyway, this, that's what it's been, and it's been it's been a really good journey. As I was an assistant for a while, learning it, and I was I did a lot of that actually at Dartmouth College up in Hanover, and so that was pretty cool. My uncle went there, my sister went there, and then I went from there to Columbia, from Columbia to Boston College as an assistant again for a few years before. I got promoted and, and I really loved BC. BC was awesome. And in some ways, like there's, I kind of, I kind of a little bit sort of sometimes sort of regret not ha- like having left there because family's there. And, you and could always go back, right? Well, I don't know. You know, these jobs don't open up all that frequently, you know, so yeah. it's, um, but it was, it was, that was really good. There was a lot about Notre Dame that was really good too. And and Moorhead is, is really, really different from every anywhere I've ever been. But it's it's cool. The kids that I work with are really neat. They come from backgrounds that are very much for the like by and large, very much working class, probably even lower middle income families. And uh, so you feel like if you're doing it right, that you're really giving them a chance and really giving them a good opportunity and hopefully Hopefully they go on and have successful lives and whatever it is that they choose to do. Did you have any coaches at Milton that come to mind that were sort of memorable, whether, I don't know, good or bad, or what kind of life lessons you might have learned? Well, I, I think, I mean, you get into that conversation, it has to be Tom Flaherty, right? And, and so, I mean, especially as, as close as I was with Maureen and, and Mr. Flaherty, like, I played football for him. For a few years, I was a horrible wrestler, which is why I went to basketball, and I was equally as <laughs> bad there. And so I had Mr. Flaherty there, and then Mr. Flaherty was also my baseball coach, and he was our he was our house parent in Wolfett House. So oh wow! I, I could right. So he was, and he was awesome. He and Fran were both terrific. Some of the stuff that I still tell stories about is Guy Hughes, right? So Guy Hughes was the baseball coach for a while, and I don't know, David, if you remember his sign system or not, but it was like the most idiot-proof science system in the history of science systems, right? So if he if he touched something that started with an S, so that was steel. And if he touched something that started with a bunch, <laughs> with a B rather, it was a bunch, right? So he'd be like holding a ball, he'd be holding his, <laughs> he'd have his legs crossed on the bench and he'd be holding That's his awesome. shoe for steel, wow. you know? Um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was weird that day he was standing on the field eating a plate of spaghetti, but that's why. I mean, he had to, you know, um, I mean it was all that stuff. So like uh, guy was really good. Mr. Flaherty obviously was great. You know who I remember a lot? Because I mean I didn't spend a ton of time, but Larry Patrick was awesome as the trainer. So yeah, and and obviously um 
Mr. Griffin, right? He was our, he was, yeah. he was with football and he was, he did the wrestling while I was there and he had to put up with watching me do that. And so that was, <laughs> that it was, it was, those guys were great. You know? I hope those Dave's looking for old wrestling photos of Mickey O now. Just to <laughs> <Yeah. show. laughs> are Sometimes he'll surprise you with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I might have to. Uh, you might get a lot of money to not show me in a singlet. <laughs> yeah, I, um... I mean, one one of the things that's really compelling about the way in which you're speaking about your career is the humility with which you're talking about it. You're obviously extremely talented. You would not be doing what you're doing if you were not. But one of the things that someone could do in your position is not take the leadership role that you've taken in giving back. And I'm really interested to know where that comes from and why you've taken such a leadership role with your with your community to put it a better way. I, I think the first place that I went to that was that was really into that was Boston College. And their, their motto of for others and, and things like that was was really impactful. So we used to do, you know, little things here and there where there was like going into the community and reading or coat drives or doing different things. But then truly the the big one came with with Pete, with Pete Frades. And I had already gone to Notre Dame by the time he was officially diagnosed. But you know, Pete was, his personality was just a force of nature. And I don't know that the ice bucket challenge and everything that he did for ALS could have ever, ever gotten to the heights that it did without the fact that Pete didn't get sequestered into like little groups, right? He knew, he, he knew the football guys. He knew the hockey guys. He knew the basketball guys. He knew basically like everybody on campus. And so when that thing started to go, and it was, you know, sort of started by a guy named Pat Quinn down in, and Pat and Pete connected via Facebook and social media, and they got this thing started. And so then all of a sudden, right, so Matt Ryan overlapped with Pete. He's the quarterback for the Falcons. And a bunch of these hockey guys, the Boyles and Giantas and, and different stuff. And then we had a couple guys who had played in the big leagues at that point. And so they connected people. And it's just the way that that thing snowballed was unbelievable, right? We would wear these team freight train t-shirts around and people were sending pictures back from countries that I didn't even know that existed while they were out <laughs> in the world. And, 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 and Pete and his family are unbelievable, a big BC family, but they're just a loving, caring, outgoing group of people. And uh, I just, the whole time that I was at Notre Dame and, Sadly, like COVID last year kind of took our ability away to use baseball to bring some attention to it. Um, but I think it's, it's really good. It, it was unbelievable, the whole thing. And so from that, I also saw that sometimes when you're doing these things, the people who are doing them, supposedly the people who are helping, I think they get as much or maybe even more out of it than the recipient of it. And I, I thought that that was really cool because we, we adopted a, a young kid when I was at Notre Dame who had inoperable brain tumor. And, and thankfully, he's still going and still well and things are pretty. But we adopted him on our team and, and Daniel would come over and he'd hang out with us. And some of the connections our guys made are, are, are still are still there. They're still in touch with Daniel. And so I think that it, it's a two-way street on that one. I think a lot of people, volunteerism is, you know, they think of it as a one-way street, but it totally isn't. 
It's so inspirational. It really is. And I hope our listeners actually take you as an example to do to do even more around them. But I think we've had guests on the link and who have spoken about sort of passion inside of them and what moves them. And as you speak about it, your whole, your tone of voice completely changed and, and it, you can see, I mean, it, it means, it means something to you. So it really, it's wonderful to hear. I'm, I'm really very keen on going back to what Meredith talked about in terms of your your sort of your journey and and a little bit about Diana in terms of Milton and just ask you a couple of questions about that that spark that you may have felt for baseball when when you were at Milton that was distinct and different than the other sports you played what was it about baseball baseball is always something that is it's like it's the first sport that I, I played really right so I, I was born in Yokohama Japan I lived there till I was eight, till my father passed away. And then we moved back to Plymouth, um, which is where my mother grew up, right? So her whole family, her whole network was there. And she felt like with my sister and with me that she needed help. And she was absolutely right, especially with me. And so we moved back there. It, it was it was the sport that connected my father and me, right? We would watch like the Tokyo Giants sometimes here and there. It was the sport that I would play out in the apartment complex. I was like forever throwing these kind of rubber baseballs off of the wall that was there. And so I think that that had always been what I wanted to do. Now, when I, when I moved back to the state, that was the first time I ever really got into any sort of organized sporting stuff, right? So soccer actually was the first organized sport that I played. And I played that until I didn't want, I wanted to play football, but my mother told me I couldn't play football until I was in high school and so the minute I got the Milton I <laughs> played football but it was baseball and I played basketball I tried wrestling at Milton as I said but baseball I think has been the one thing that for my whole life has been like kind of the connection thing so I don't know that I necessarily attribute it to to Milton but it's it's the one thing that has I, I, I fear that I'm going to sound like uh, like James Earl Jones but it's been like the one constant in my life right so <laughs> That's really, that's really powerful. Mikio, I didn't know that, that you were in Japan until you were eight. Do you still understand and speak Japanese? Probably a, a whole group. One of my many, many regrets is that I allowed, my sister did too. But when we moved back, I think it was just a matter of like, we didn't want to be singled out as being different. We were coming back mm-hmm. from Japan to here. And so I let it go. And it, it's horrible, terrible to have done it. My mother tried to speak. You know, here's my my mother, who's the non-native Japanese speaker, right? So she learned to be fluent. Wow. She can still speak it. Wow. And and yeah, and my sister and me, like a couple of knuckleheads, let it go away. It's super common, though. It's super common for people when they're young just to want to adapt to whatever country and culture to just completely negate that part. And then when they get older, like, oh, why? Because it was so easy then. And now it's so much harder to learn languages. But but Mikio, I mean, look, as somebody who was not born in the United States, I came to the United States when I was a baby, so I was not eight. But you want to fit in and you want to just be American and you don't want to have all these other things attached to you that, and, and Milton at the time was not sort of, very, we didn't think about diversity. We didn't yeah. think about inclusion in the same way we do today. It wasn't cool to sort of have these other, we had a great conversation with Soledad Fox and also Shin Hiroshi on the link, both of whom come from different cultures too. So that, your experience that you're describing is not unique to you. Yeah, well, thank you. I still feel like like I should have gotten with like some stupid stick at some point or something because it's just, but it is. It was, 
it was hard to, and, and like in fairness to my sister and me, you know, we, our father had just passed away. Yeah. Um, we moved from Tokyo, Japan to Plymouth, Massachusetts, trying to fit into, I was in the fourth grade, she was in the second. We're trying to fit in. I mean, there was just so much stacked against us in that deal, you know, just, we had a mother who knew and we didn't listen to her, you know, which is so, Mick, so um, bad. I think your yeah. son, your son needs money for a hot dog. Is that- <laughs> so, you know what I did when I left the seat to come up here, mm-hmm. my wallet fell out of my pocket, I guess. Oh, no. So, he texted me in his typical fashion and was like, hey, you moron, you left your wallet here. <laughs> Wait, he should have just gone and spent it and no. then been like, Dude. how are you raising your children? Uh, you know? yeah, but there he is. There's Kai. Hey. Hi there. Hi. Nice to see you. So, 16, driving, what? and he we're down here for a baseball tournament this weekend. So, How many kids do you have? We have three. So uh, my wife, Sue, and I have Kai, who's the oldest. He's 16. Then we have two daughters. One is Bryn, who's 13, and Reese, who's 11. So, and are the, are the girls into baseball, too? Or are, you, are they, all kids? They can't stand baseball. <laughs> um, nice. So my Bryn, our 13-year-old, she is really into volleyball now. And so she's been doing that. And our youngest, Reese, is into gymnastics. Those are the, oh, those awesome. are the sports that they've sort of settled on, yeah. That, that Everyone's really got awesome. their thing. So, Mikhail, what is like a typical day? Do you have a typical day? What would that involve? It kind of depends on the time of year, honestly. Mm. So in the summertime, it's a lot of traveling to go watch kids play. This is the first year that Kai is old enough to where he's old enough that at the same time I see him, I can be watching the other players to right. see if they're kids that eventually we might want to recruit. And so that's that's most of the summer. In the fall, in the fall, it's a lot of it's just like getting. We, we're allowed to practice for about for about a month and a half or so, and so it's come to work, and the guys usually have some sort of a lift or conditioning things, and then we have practices in the afternoon, and we're probably doing that like five out of seven days a week for most of the fall semester. And then if you find me during like Christmas break, like a typical college Christmas break period, like we have like nothing. It goes like, it just goes from like, it goes from a hundred miles an hour down to zero. And then as soon as the semester starts in January, you're immediately back to like a hundred miles an hour and you play your season. The college baseball season goes from the middle of February to essentially Memorial day. Mm, wow. And so, there's basically no breaks. And so it's um, at that point, it's six out of seven days a week. There's right. travel for games. There's obviously gameplay. There's training. There's lifting. There's all that kind of stuff. And so it's, at that point, it's really, it's really, really busy and it's long days. And, but it's, you know, what it's at the end of the day, it's what you're sort of doing all the other stuff for, right? All the right. recruiting and, and the training in the fall. So that, that's kind of, and to a certain extent, like that's the point at which as a coach, you kind of take a step back and you just let them go play, right? The rest of the year has sort of been yours to try to, it's not unlike raising kids, right? You hope that you do a good job in the infancy, which is sort of the fall and, and January, and then you got to kind of let them go and see what the hell they can do. What do you think of one of the qualities that the kids have for you? Like, what is a quality that, you possess or need to possess to be able to both 
lead, inspire, teach, and mold or entrust all these kids to get have no, them do that with you? Because I mean, I are, aren't there any guys or who are just like, nah, I don't, I don't deal with whatever it is, responsibility or encouragement. Yeah, yeah. You, usually, by the time they get to us, yeah. Um, they're all these in. are kids for, for the most part, right? These are kids who are have been pretty self motivated. They mm. work really hard to sort of get to a Division One baseball level. I think that that what you're describing very much exists and be very much the challenge for a high school coach, right? Because yeah. outside of a private institution, the high school coach in your local wherever you all live. Um, he or she doesn't get a choice as to who they're going to coach, right? They, they, they show up and you got to make the best of, of sort of what you have. Right? And, and that's both from a talent standpoint and from a character standpoint. For us, yeah, I mean, there's differing levels. There's kind of, um, yeah, there's differing levels to which kids are truly committed sometimes. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, we also wield a little bit of a bigger hammer, right? Like if you don't do what we're telling you to, right. well, then you can go take your app someplace else. Right. Um, and so, but uh, anything that you see in sort of any kind of a leadership manual or anything, I think all of those things apply. I would say that the biggest one is the relational component. And, and I know it's like in every one of these things, but they don't care what until they know that you care, right? And, right. and that's really 100%. true, right? If they trust you and once you make that relationship, then it comes down to, okay, does this guy actually know what he is talking about? And, that, and if you do, then I think they're willing to listen to you and you, and you add some credibility to that relational right. piece and then you can do it. Um, I, I tell our kids that we're, I tell our kids that, that we're recruiting that my job is to create an environment in which you can develop, try to bring as many tools as we can be, as we could develop. And that to tell you the truth about your strengths and your weaknesses and together come up with a plan to help shore up the weaknesses to try to be as good as you can. That's awesome. Hi, this is David Yaz, producer of The Link Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we hope you consider supporting us with a contribution through Patreon. The Link is a labor of love for us, but there are production costs attached to creating a quality show. And you can help us by visiting patreon.com slash the link podcast. We have some cool ways of thanking you for your support, including t-shirts, mugs, and shout outs on the show. You can do us a solid for as little as $5 a month, and we will continue to bring you great conversations that foster the bonds of our high school class and beyond. Once again, please visit patreon.com slash the link podcast. Now, back to the show. I, I have one more question. What would you... This is your big question, right? This is my big question. Is don't this I, okay? Don't I normally give you a drum roll or something? I want yeah. okay. to know the importance. Oh, 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 I, oh yeah. yeah. Um, Can this be like the drum roll? Meredith's from, gonna uh, ask her like, big question. Like a Christmas vacation where we all go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and the good thing is, is it's a different question every week because I can never remember it. <laughs> We're gonna make little flashcards for you, Meredith. All right, you guys. You guys talked over. Ready. You talked over the drum roll. I'm doing it again. Oh. <laughs> that was a really short. No, oh, no, that wasn't so good, Dave. It's that muted or something. Yeah, no, you yeah, guys. It, okay. it sounds fine in the producer's booth here. 
That's all that matters. We'll just we'll just pretend. All right. What do you think your high school self would think of you now? Oh my God! And then concurrently, if that's the right word, if you could tell your high school self anything. What would that be? I the latter one, the latter question is so much easier for me. Okay, right? you can start with it, that. Because he's a it's, coach, right? <laughs> it's it's like I would go back and tell my idiot self to immerse myself in Milton more, get to know my classmates better, get to just like get to know all of them better, right? I mean, it's 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 coincidental that you bring up. Allegra, because I didn't really get to know her until that senior play, that guys and dolls thing, right? <laughs> and I was like, wow, what a terrific person she is. And, 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 and at some level or another, you sort of knew it, right? Because she seemed like one of those people who like just had her stuff. Like, yeah, she was on point like every day. And, and, but then you get to know her and you're like, wow, this, she's great. And then, you know, all of you, I mean, Diana, you probably just thought of me like, oh, there's that dumb jock guy who comes around and pesters me now and again. <laughs> who dated my of- sister. That's <laughs> really right. how I thought of it. <laughs> and then, and then Farah's probably like, oh my God, how the hell did that guy get into this place? <laughs> Not I, I, you know, Dave's probably the only guy who's like, yeah, that Mick kid is okay. You know? but, um, <laughs> well, it's funny, Mick, I remember guys and dolls. <laughs> Because you and I played sports together, and I, I, I always thought we got along pretty well. Not necessarily the same circles of friends. I was more of the, the nerdy crowd. But you were always very cool to me. But I probably got to know you best when we were hanging backstage at Guys and Dolls because Mick played Big Jewel. or Big, Big Jewel. Big yeah. Jewel, right? And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but we, we his acting, his his short lived acting career. Yeah. He was good. He was good. He was like you know the gangster, and then we were like the henchmen. And so like me, Mick, and Todd Chayette, and Shin, and Carl, and Josh oh, Gillette, yeah. we were we we had to spend like at least a half an hour a day backstage waiting for our cue. And we made we used to make up like pornographic versions of the songs and sing them. But I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. All right, that's awesome. So. <laughs> So, so that's what I would say. And, and honestly, like, I've had that chambered, that answer chambered forever. Oh. I mean, it's like every now and then the Milton magazine shows up and I kind of flip to the back. I don't pay any attention right. to the stuff in the front for the most part. And I flip to the back and I'm like, all right, what are these guys doing in 86? And you see some of the things that they're doing. And then all of a sudden you see some of our classmates on the board of trustees and you're going, oh my God, why the hell didn't I take advantage of them? <laughs> you know? and, uh-huh. and, 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 you know, and how the hell did I get the short stick? But <laughs> anyway, it was, I, I totally would have gone back and just be like, hey, open up and get to know these people and get to know these people where they are. But we now were teenagers. Even... We were just like dumb little teenagers. As old so as your insecure. Yeah. I know, and then, but it's, God, yeah. I should have been better than that. And then what would your teenage self think of you now? Yeah. I, I think my teenage self would think that I'm like a total nerd. I think it's kind of like what my son, like what my son thinks of me for the most part. You know, like you, he's like, Dad, you talk to too many people. Right? Like you don't have to talk to anybody. Why would you just say hi to that person? You don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know? My mean, daughter I, does I think, that with me only. I talk to dogs. She's like, you're kind of like, why are you like, hi? Like, it's like a dog. She's just like, why yeah, are you yeah, talking to the dog? Like, yeah. And it's like, and he's, he'll be there like, and, and there's no doubt, right? There's no doubt that I, 
that I enjoy a good dad joke now and again. Um, <laughs> but, and now and again, meaning like several times a day, probably. And so I, I think that, yeah, that's what I think. But I tell my kids this all the time is I'm like, so look, you guys might think I'm a nerd, right? But nerds rule the world. Yeah. Right. So uh, everybody would have said Elon Musk is a nerd, Jeff Bezos is a nerd, all of these people are nerds, and they're <laughs> flying in space, and I'm not. So uh, yeah, there you go. Not yet, Mikio. Not yet. Well, well, Mick, uh, stay on the line for just like 60 more seconds. We'll close out. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you. Totally think- awesome. Thank so you. So great. Uh, hey, so did you guys all go back to the reunion and, and everything? I can never make it because of the time of year that it is. But- well, this, it was all virtual. It was virtual. And it was... Um, you didn't miss much. It was, it was a little flawed <laughs> no. this year. Thanks so much to Mikio Aoki. Check out... Um, yes. Just if you Google Mick, you'll find all kind of great baseball stats and things that he's accomplished. But now... It, good luck uh, next season, Coach. And, is there um, a place that we can we can people can help donate to any of his charities? Good question. I, actually, I would say... Like anything you can do with ALS, I think is great. We also, with our team, we've been doing the Movember stuff. So I don't know if you all are like familiar at all with the Movember Foundation, but it's kind of like the men's health type of a thing. And they, for, for a while, it was like testicular cancer and prostate cancer. And now it's moved into the men's mental health space, which I thought was pretty timely nice. given mm-hmm. you know the pandemic. And it's ongoing still, in spite of my non-masking state in, in a big old arena. So do you, grow, um, do you grow the stash, the stash for Movember? So my, my stash is so bad, so I always <laughs> go with a goatee. Oh, okay. Goatee a little bit. So I go with the goatee, and <laughs> the last couple of years, I've been horrified by how much gray is in it like my husband shares your concern he's just like who's the old guy like i gotta shave again well we uh, thank our listeners for listening to the link check out all past episodes subscribe to us on apple podcasts and go to pod617.com slash link for more info including a button to contribute to the show via patreon come on come on give until it hurts people support the show we want to keep this going and we thank you for listening to the link Mm -hmm.